0: WTF1 presents Hot Takes Wednesday. Yahoo! Welcome back to another edition of Hot Takes Wednesday. I'm your friendly neighborhood host, Dre Harrison, and welcome to the post-Japanese Grand Prix edition of, of HTW. And joining me in the chair once again is Mr. Ronnie Swift. Good to
1: see you, buddy. How's it going? Going really well, thank you, mate. Thanks for having me on again. I'm looking forward to this one. I think we're going to have a lot of good stuff to talk about.
0: Yeah, definitely. I think this was a very sort of newsworthy Japanese Grand Prix. Maybe not the most exciting in terms of pure racing and pure action, but there was a lot of little things, I think, that that played into what made the Japanese Grand Prix what it is, to help the fact that there was a big slab of reaction from you guys. I can't remember the last time we had so many takes sent in to an episode of the show. So clearly there was a lot to talk about coming off the japanese grand prix um before i get going a couple of things i want to clean up and address real quick first of all yes i am back from las vegas now um shout out to all the support everyone that tuned into the wtf1 wrap this past weekend um huge thanks to MoneyGram for uh shipping my ass out to vegas that in itself was probably worth two seats <laughs> as it is um but to be able to to perform a show live in las vegas at the top of golf had so many f1 fans in the house got to work with so Many cool people, F1 Caroline uh, Christina, and who's just joined the WTF1 talent family today. So congrats to Christina, welcome aboard! um And again, to, I got to work with Nicole Briscoe for me ESPN and Sports Center. That was incredibly cool. So thanks to MoneyGram for sending me out there. Big thanks to them. Big shout out to them. But, now that I'm back on British soil, let's quickly get into the rules of HTW. if you haven't been here before, because as I always say, every podcast is somebody's first. You, the fine WTF1 audience, send in your takes, um, whether it be via Twitter. Look out for the uh, tweet every Monday morning on the WTF1 Twitter account. You can also send them to me via Instagram. Instagram, my I, I at is uh, DreWTF1 or Drew F one depending on how you read it. Either works. <laughs> Or you can send in an email at contact at wtf1.com. All of the hot takes get passed on to me. I try to get a blend in of all three formats. Once those takes are all sent in, me and my guest, in this case, Ollie, will will go back and forth on some of these takes, and then we'll score them on a scale of one to five, one being that we strongly disagree, and five being that we strongly agree with it. So, Ollie, third time in the chair. Are we, are, we, are we ready to do this again for hot, for hot takes Wednesday?
1: Let's get into it, mate. I'm looking forward to these.
0: Let's get into it. And I know he's a McLaren man, so he's going to enjoy this one, first of all. It's top of the list for a Patrick Riku who says, Piastri will be better than Norris in one to two years. Ah, the Oscar Piastri hype train is here again. (laughs) Um... can't blame me, given it was the f- his first Grand Prix podium this weekend, third place for him, a career-high finish. Uh, can't complain at all. Piastri will be better than Norris in one to two years, says Patrick Riku. So, Oli, you're the McLaren, man, so I think it's only fair I ask you first. How do you see, the, the? I guess, the growth and the development of McLaren's two drivers going forward? Do we really think that Piastri could be
1: maybe even better than Norris in a couple of years' time? Well, I certainly see where Patrick is coming from. And like you said, Dre, we are in the middle of this hype train at the moment for Oscar. His development as a driver is going hand in hand with this car development they've had this year. And he's really showcasing that he can have a really great race, have some great race craft during some of these uh, important periods of the season for McLaren. You know, there's some really interesting points up for grabs at the moment. And, you know, they sometimes go from... Fifth or sixth best car on the grid to the second best car on the grid, depending on the track and the layout and how they develop with the characteristics of their car. So I think Oscar is doing an amazing job at the moment. I've really started to appreciate his talent, I think, in the last few races and a very well earned podium this season. Whether he'll be better than Norris in one or two years, I think is a really difficult one to answer right now because as good as oscar is at the moment and as much of the hype that we're seeing behind him lando is quietly having well not even quietly lando is having a brilliant season himself and is continuing to push himself forward as a great driver and a, and a team leader as well i think he's had what four p2s this year his mm. fifth p2 in formula one he's inching ever so close to that win and if it wasn't for you know Red Bull's dominance he would have had a had a great shot at some wins this season. So I think it's difficult to say if he would be better than him. I think he's obviously having in terms of points scored a better rookie season with McLaren than Lando did, but I think the gulf when Lando came into the team between McLaren and the top 3 was maybe a little bit bigger than it is right yeah. now. So that's one thing I'm really struggling to compare them on is actually you know, how good is Oscar and then how good is he as a rookie? And I think he is extremely talented. One thing that's going to be interesting if he does keep developing is this headache, potential headache that McLaren are going to have with, you know, two number one drivers. So I think better than Norris in one to two years. No, as good as Norris in one to two years. Definitely. I think he's going to close that gap very quickly, but I think they're both going to be very close, very much on par. I think Norris is still sort of the man at McLaren. Obviously, Oscar's signed that really long contract. Um, it's, it's difficult. It's the word better that's, that's putting me off a little bit. Yeah. I think they're both going to be doing really great things and pushing the team forward better than... I don't know. I don't know. What do you think? I think... And this
0: is, this is going to be a strange thing to say, given that Piastri's had a very good week. I didn't even mention he just got a big new contract extension as well till 20, the end of twenty twenty six. So they've tied Piastri down for another three years. So that's a a big statement of commitment from Zach Brown, which is rare for Zach Brown. But uh, he's 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 clearly found his guy. Um, sorry, Alex Polo. Sorry Pado award. It's not going to be you. Um, <laughs> oh, that's one for you, IndyCar fans out there. But um. I'm going to say something that might be a bit controversial here. We need to calm down on the hype train on Piastri just a little bit, just a smidge. We're at an 11. I need you with about an eight right now is what I would say. Like this is exciting. And look, I've said it all year long. Piastri is exactly what McLaren needed after Daniel Ricciardo. There was a massive golfing performance between Norris and Ricciardo in the two years they were together as teammates. And as a result, McLaren were hemorrhaging points. Piastri clearly has more upside and more promise than what Ricardo has had in the two years he was there. This setup suits him clearly. Um, my old theory was that always that McLaren was hard to drive, and it's because all that, it's, because it's all that Piastri has known about an F1 car in person. I think that's that means he's just been able to mold his style to what McLaren is because that's all he knows as an F1 driver. He's had a very good week. Like I said, new contract to sign in, you know, new podium. But there is one little thing I have to point out about that Japanese Grand Prix. He did finish 17 seconds behind his teammate. Now, if this was another teammate pairing, we'll get to that later. Um, there's, that, that's foreshadowing there, folks. Um, we'd probably be a lot more critical of Oscar. Now, don't get me wrong. He's a rookie and it's Lando's team it has been for you know ever since Carlos Sainz I'd argue has left it's been it's been Norris's team he's been spared in that team's performances I think there is still a little bit of a way to go yet before Piastri is consistently beating Norris week in week out um Piastri admitted it himself after the even after he got that podium finish he said to the press that so he he wasn't actually that happy with his race I remember he said that these sort of high tyre degradation sort of tracks like Japan he struggles at and I remember he mentioned Hungary as well that was another race where he was he was running second in the first chunk of that race but then fell down the order as the race went on um, he wasn't able to really work with his hard tyres as well as Lando did as well as some of the other chasing pack like Lewis Hamilton and Sergio Perez was don't get me wrong there is good reason to be excited here Piastri is exactly what McLaren needs he's a very exciting talent I think he this will not I don't think this will be his last podium finish this season I think there's at least another one coming between now and the end of the year better than Norris I need to see more I I need to see him actually threatening Norris in terms of race pace in terms of doing that week in week out rather than just once or twice, because like that, this take coming off a race where Norris was comprehensively better in the race. It- it's a, it's a bit premature. Like I-, I, I would like to see what happens in one or two years time. I'm um, as much as probably you do Patrick with, with this take, I'm I'll be fascinated to see just how, just how Piastri develops. But Norris is one of the, premier drivers in formula one right now i think he's a a borderline top five level driver in this sport he's one one of the outstanding drivers of this season i'd put him up there with maybe hamilton and alonso this year for how good his performances have been especially in the back half post upgrade um piastri just isn't quite there yet for me but if he gets anywhere close Piastri is going to be a quality driver and Zach Brown will absolutely be wanting to tie him down for as long as he wants to be there. I mean, like I said, you don't, you don't get three year extensions in formula one very often. They clearly believe in him and rightly so. Um, It's the best young driver lineup in formula one, as far as I'm concerned. I don't think you can get much better than Norris and Piastri at the moment. Um, but I don't think Piastri is going to be challenging Norris for, I guess, de facto number one status. I guess you could call it that. I don't think there is any strict, like, number one, two policy at McLaren. I think they've largely played it right with the the inter team politics between Norris and Piastri. Norris is their guy. Um, but if Piastri's even close to Norris's level, then I think a golden. Quite frankly, I, I don't see, I don't see much of a, of, an, of an issue there at all. I think, so I would say, I would say probably a two. I slightly disagree. I think Norris will only get better. You forget, Lando is still only twenty three. <laughs> He's got 15 more years of this if he wants it. Um, like we haven't even seen Norris at anywhere near his prime yet either. I think he will only get better and better. And look, if Piastri's even like backing him up in terms of the results on the score score sheet right now yeah McLaren's in a good place but I would say let's pump the brakes just a little bit on Piastri before we start going down the road of is he better than Lando no not yet Um, but uh, yeah I'll be fascinated to see how that goes over the next couple of years
1: I'm going to say two on that one what about you Ollie yeah I think I'm going to agree with you I think it's going to be great to see him develop I think in a couple of years he's going to be an incredible driver I think Lando will two and i think for that reason and the word better and now i'm gonna have to go with two i think slightly disagree on better maybe on par
0: yeah could be i think if, if he's anywhere close to mclaren are, 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 are gonna be laughing their way to the bank with that lineup um just just get them both a decent car and uh, your, your quids in. I think that's a very, very strong lineup either way. Um, for all the talk we've given Zach about not being able to manage his drivers, he's, he's put the right people in the right places, I think, ultimately. And I guess that's all that really matters. <laughs> right, take number two comes from Chris Lowe's. And Chris, with a very spicy take, says, George Russell is hampering Mercedes and Lewis Hamilton by barking out his own team orders and strategies every week. oh boy I'm going to get some strongly worded emails regardless of what I say on this one aren't I (laughs) George Russell is hampering Mercedes and Lewis Hamilton by barking out his own team orders and strategies every week that's from Chris hi Chris um how do I feel about this one um well obviously this has come off the back of Japan and and George was very vocal on the radio about how his race played out He he was a a strong move shall we say by Hamilton at the spoon I think I don't I think the stewards were right not to punish on this one I think that was the right call it was it was an aggressive pass it's one of those in football where you go you've seen them given it's and I I think ultimately I think the right decision was made not to penalize Lewis for that one but then at the back end of the race they had George on a one-stopper it was clear his tires were fading Hamilton was coming through. Hamilton wanted to back the wagon up so George could get DRS. I think it was very similar to Singapore. It was like, we we're going we to use the second car as a blocker. And then George couldn't really execute that. And then he got chewed up by Carlos Sainz behind him. He was on, he was undercut himself. It's a big sweeping statement to say that George Russell, you know, is... Literally holding the team back by by being as vocal as he is. But my initial impression is I don't think it's that deep, personally. <laughs> um, again, I could be wrong here. I, I, don't, I don't know how you how you would feel about it, Ollie. But um, I don't think I think it would be harsh to start making such a big sweeping comments about George Russell this soon into his Mercedes tenure. I know he's not had the best of seasons this year compared to last year, but. Seems yeah. a bit premature. How do you feel about it?
1: Yeah, the, the top thing I've written on my notes, actually, for this is, uh, I think it's much ado about nothing, this sort of narrative that's coming on with George. I think it's one of those things that seems to have lit the social media world alight. You know, Team LH, Mercedes fans, George fans. You know, it's a very sort of fiery topic at the mm. moment in terms of um, what's being spoken about and, you know, who's throwing mud at who and so on. But I think for me, you know, The way that uh, Chris has has phrased this, I, I think I generally disagree with, you know, George Russell for all his complaining and for everything that he says he's not calling the strategies he makes suggestions about what he would maybe like to do he'd suggested that he wasn't going to move up in the race in japan so maybe we should look at a one-stopper they obviously go away review that and decide yeah okay let's give that a go and obviously you listen to your driver somewhat hamilton alonso all these great drivers you know give their feedback from the track but sat in their cockpit you know they don't have access to all of the the data and i think george is trying to maximize the result for the team, but also maximize the result for himself, which everyone does on the track. And I think his, you know, DRS idea that he suggested they could try again, you know, It really wasn't going to work anyway for him at Suzuka. It's a very different track to Singapore. You know, you can overtake at The spoon, as you said, the chicane, um, turn seven at the hairpin, you know, that, that just wasn't going to work. I think he was a little bit desperate to, you know, try and cling on to that position for as long as possible. But ultimately, you know, he listened to team orders. He did what he was supposed to do. Perhaps Mercedes could have made that call a little bit earlier just to be, really sure um you know there was a slight threat that signs was going to get both of them if they left it too much longer to invert them Mm. um but you know until he's um you know disobeying team orders or doing something totally egregious i think he's really just trying to manage his own race the best he can and i don't really think he's hampering the team or lewis at the moment at suzuka i also don't think he was particularly at uh, singapore either i my initial reaction to that situation was yeah, maybe Lewis would have gone and got that position if he'd been let through. But on reflection, I think the way that Signs was managing that and the, the speed that Lando was still able to deliver in those last few laps, I don't really think that made too much of a difference. And obviously George saw himself out of that race anyway. So, um, yeah. you know, <laughs> I think um, I understand where the where the the take is coming from and it is a very hot topic at the moment but yeah i agree with you i don't think he's hampering mercedes or lewis at the moment and i think until he starts you know actively working against him and the team on track there's nothing to worry about you know he he wants a great result for himself he wants a great result for the team and they they've maximized what they could have done at japan i think so yeah no no real bother for me on that front so um so yeah i think i think i disagree with this one
0: yeah, I'm I'm largely in, in in a similar camp to you on this one, Ollie. I think two things jumped off the page for me when watching that race and how Mercedes played it. Number one, ultimately, it's Mercedes' call. Cool that's what we've got to remember first of all yes the driver gets an input and yes we've seen many jokes over the years and look I was a huge Vettel fan I've been there during the Ferrari days where Vettel was sometimes calling his own strategies Carlos Sainz who joked about doing the same over the course of this year in fact that was that great line during the Japanese Grand Prix itself where I was like so I've been undercutted again and I was like yes confirmed great (laughs) which was just like ah that's that's the Ferrari we know back on form Um, but uh, yeah like ultimately Mercedes makes the call not George. The, you know, and they gave George a clear instruction to let Hamilton buy, and George relented. Yes, Mercedes were probably a little bit, maybe a lap or two slow on the uptake on that. But and and that leads me to point number two I was gonna make, which was it didn't really cost Mercedes anything ultimately in the end. I don't think they missed out on anything on track as a direct result of what happened between Russell and Hamilton out there. I think that was the maximum that was on the table. George was always going to be on a compromised strategy when they committed to the one-stopper. That's not how you do Japan. Japan is one of the biggest tire munchers on the calendar. You can't really feasibly one-stop it. I remember Bernie Collins on Sky Commentary saying there was was possibility of a three-stopper during this one, let alone one. So yeah, I don't think the one-stopper was ever on truly for George in in this instance. I think it was more about him trying to, like, okay, can we keep track position if we go long? And the answer to that was clearly no. So I don't think it actually cost Mercedes anything to run that race how they did in the end. I think they got the maximum they got. They were clearly outclassed um, by McLaren and to a to a degree Ferrari as well. Ferrari were, were decent. Leclerc had a very quiet day, but he was still fourth ultimate, ultimately. So I think I think that was the best Mercedes could have reasonably hoped for barring big shenanigans so I I I don't want to get into this like narratives change very quickly with drivers and I don't think we're at the point where George Russell is an active detriment to Mercedes yet. I think that, I think we're, I think that's way too soon before we start having those kind of conversations. And yes, George is outspoken on the radio. He absolutely is, and I would say that most drivers are, um, especially when in, in the heat of the moment, and especially when. They think they know best because they're racing drivers. They have egos, like that's what they do. Um, you know, racing drivers are not that humble, especially when they're in the middle of a race car at two hundred miles an hour. So, I think you summed it up perfectly when you said, it, "Well, I think it was much ado about nothing." I I agree. I don't think we're at that point yet with George. I think yes, Hamilton has definitely been better this season compared to last year. I think absolutely Hamilton has wrestled the number one status back at Mercedes, but I don't think George is uh, an active detriment (laughs) to the team by trying to call his own plays. That is a very common thing that drivers do. I, I, I wouldn't read more into it than that. So I'm going to say two on this one. I could see, again, I could see how you've come to that conclusion. I, I I get it. It was an intense race for Mercedes, and that doesn't even include the overtake attempts we had during the race between them as well, which was very fun. But I'm going to say two on this one. Are we Are we? in, are we in unison again on this one, Ollie?
1: I might even stretch to a 1. I might oh, stretch wow. to a 1. Okay. I think George has shown, you know, even in his times at Williams that he's a he's a genuine team player. I think mm. this narrative is just building around him and personally I I disagree with it and um yeah until he does something genuinely to the detriment of the team I, I I'm going to say a 1 on this one. Interesting. I strongly disagree. I haven't been have, have with him <laughs> recently. I like that.
0: Um cool. Take number three comes from Nizels on Twitter. And Nizels, forgive my pronunciation, uh, says, quote, the penalty system is broken. Bold start. Instead of time penalty, it should be a finishing penalty, just like with grid penalties for pre-race. If committed in the race, you should be able to lose a place on the end result. I wonder who this is referring to. (laughs) (laughs) Any chance it could be a certain Mexican by any chance? (laughs) Um, Because that that was another... Highly talked about moments. Um, Well, Sergio Perez's entire race was a bit of a disaster. Let's be frank. Uh, He hit Hamilton opening lap, lost the front wing, overtook Alonso under under safety car conditions, five-second penalty, and then another one for hitting Kevin Magnussen, ultimately retired the car, had to retire it, but then they realized, oh, no, we've not taken our remaining penalty yet if they don't take it, it becomes a grid penalty next time out. So they fixed the car, they got him back out there and then they eventually cleared their debt to the FIA and then parked the car again. Um, It's a hot button topic. And I know, I think I saw Alex Albon talk about this today as well, about how he wants to see harsher penalties given um, and more penalties given because quote it doesn't teach drivers anything. So, Five seconds has been, I think, the go-to penalty most of the time for collisions, leaving tracks, gaining advantages, etc., we forget there's a lot more of the system that can be used. You know, we, we've got the 10 second time penalty. We can go up to a drive through the 10 stop and go. And even then full blown disqualification. Um, we don't see, we don't see the latter half of that very often at all. Unless you're Logan Sargent. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, maybe more on that on next week's show, but um, yeah. How do you feel about it? I I mean, I didn't have a particularly big problem with how how Red Bull played out that situation. I think if a car is safe to continue, why not? Um, That's how I look at it personally. But should we be using more of the penalty system in play? Because the stewards have got a wide range of tools at their disposal, but they don't seem to be using them.
1: Yeah, I think it's a really difficult one because there's like you said, there's lots of options, but they have really varying degrees of severity in terms of the impact of the end result. And I think what the difficulty has been at the moment is particularly obviously for the faster cars is five seconds is is nothing really. And we've got into this situation where a lot of the time there's, you know, either you know they're they're almost having these negotiations it's like hey you know give that place back or you're going to get a penalty but it's not always feasible to move the cars around it's not always safe to necessarily move the cars around depending on where you're on the track and like you said they seem to be you know dishing out the five second one for for everything now but Mm. if it's more practical for a driver to crack on up the road and build that five second gap you know, there's almost, it's seemingly like there is no punishment. And like you said, I assume this is in reference to Perez. I agree with you. Fair play Red Bull. They did what they needed to do. I think the difficult thing for in-track action as well is, do you discipline or punish the action or do you discipline and punish the outcome? And that's Mm. a debate that a lot of people I see have on Twitter and that I have with my friends all the time. I actually think you have to discipline the action in itself and not the outcome because, you know, a, a front wing to a rear tire could result in, you know, the, p- someone being pushed off track and they come back on and it's totally fine. Could result in massive tire explosion and blowout. And that person, you know, is out of the race, hits three of the cars and that's it. But, but they might not have done necessarily a particularly bad move. It might've just been an understeer or an oversteer, whatever it might be. So I do think it's really difficult with the penalty systems the way they are. I think I understand nasal's point, nasal's again, apologies if I'm not getting that right, but Mm -hmm. I do understand that it doesn't really feel like you're being punished too much in some of these instances. I'd like to see maybe a few more drive-through penalties or something along those lines where it feels a little bit more impactful. Um, And I saw some people on Twitter today as well talking about, well, maybe they have to do a drive-through or a stop-go or something, but as soon as it's delivered or within a couple of laps, which Mm. I liked the idea of, but then I thought back to how the stewards tend to do things and loads of penalties take forever to sort out. So I I do genuinely think it's a really hard one. I think the first sentence, the penalty system is broken of this of this take hundred percent agree with, I couldn't agree with it more, (laughs) whether you need to be switching places around for, for incidents that are maybe worthy of just a minor penalty. That that's where I think it becomes a bit of a struggle and, I honestly don't know where I sit with this take because I I haven't seen a comprehensive, coherent review of of what can be done because there's just so many things that that could and can happen. And you don't want to see people losing positions for minor infringements, but you want to feel like they've been punished. And yeah, a lot of the time it doesn't feel like they have been. (sighs) I, I this is
0: a, this is a long ranging take, and there's a lot of different ways to skin this cat. Uh, to, to to borrow a phrase, is the penalty system broken? Not necessarily. I think the people that are using the system are not using it to its full effect. Is what I would say. I think Look, the stewards have got more tools than ever. They can go anywhere from no further action to a warning. All, you know, and the reprimand system all the way up to disqualifying someone from a race. But when was the last time we even saw a drive-through penalty for causing a collision? Like, the most controversial recent cause in a collision in recent times was probably Hamilton and Verstappen at Silverstone. Maybe if we go a little bit further, maybe the, the alleged brake test at, at uh, Saudi Arabia that same year. Verstappen got 10 seconds for that. Like And that was, in the eyes of many, an extreme race car uh, racecraft error in judgment. And that was a 10-second time penalty. So we don't get the rest of the system used unless it's wacky stuff normally. So I don't like... I ultimately don't like the almost safety cushion that the stewards have taken where they just will give a blanket five-second penalty for everything. Um... However, I I completely agree with you, Oli, in that I think you've got to be very careful if you start punishing people based on outcomes rather than the crime itself. This is a sport that has a thousand variables we are driving race cars at 200 miles an hour. Like I mentioned earlier, there is a thousand ways different things can go wrong. Um, And sometimes you'll get away with a, a, a bit of contact here and there. And sometimes you won't, that is the margins that this sport provides for us. And like, we need a degree of human mitigation when it comes to these things. And sometimes the punishment will not fit the crime in my opinion, based on the car that they're in. Now, yes, I think there is an argument you can make about some of Perez's recent excursions. Even and look, I, I mentioned Alex Albon for a reason because Singapore was is still pretty fresh in the mind, where Perez absolutely punted Albon at the bottom hairpin. I think it was turn 12 at Singapore. And Albon had to actually stop the car. It was that severe a hit. And Perez was only given five seconds, which in terms of a penalty didn't actually mean anything because obviously Perez had a faster car and he was five seconds down the road now does that mean that we have to punish Perez more harshly because he's in a faster car I think that's a very slippery slope because you don't know what's going to happen for the rest of that race like Sergio Perez one corner later could could mistime his brakes and end up in the wall what do we do then because his race is over so then he gets a grid penalty instead most likely so like it's it, you can't punish based on outcomes because you just don't know what's going to happen next you've got to make a decision based on what you've seen right there and then um because if you start punishing people based on outcomes and strength of the car that they're in you're gonna you're gonna have even more inconsistency because like where do you draw the line between a five second penalty and a 10 second penalty depending on how fast your car is like oh well, well because again, I remember I remember Hamilton and Piastri at Monza as well. That was another one where Hamilton, yes, he punted Piastri. Yes, Hamilton got penalized by five seconds, but it didn't matter because he was 10 seconds down the road. So again, yeah. I I I get I get the frustration from certain quarters regarding how we're looking at the penalty system in general. I think the problem is we need to be a bit harsher. In how we discipline drivers, as opposed to just saying, "Well, Perez is in a Red Bull," you know, it, like you know, just just double the punishment for everything because he's <laughs> in a really really fast car. I, but that's that's not going to solve the problem. It, it'll just you'll then have people being called out for it being unfair that stronger cars are being punished harsher for passing slower ones incorrectly. I think that in itself would you be you be exchanging one problem for another, in my opinion. Another, I think the system is fine for the most part. I just think it's not fully utilised. I think the stewards have gotten a bit too comfortable in giving out five-second penalties for everything, if it's a blanket case. Now, overall, I think if we saw more 10-second penalties and I think if we saw more drive-through penalties, I think... I think it would balance out a bit more somehow because that was what it was like when I was growing up as an F1 fan. They like we didn't have time penalties in the V10 era. It was all okay if you, if you did something particularly egregious you would get a stop and go you would get a drive through. And like it went, it went from zero to that very quickly. I don't necessarily have a problem with swapping positions around post race. Because MotoGP does that all the time with the way they handle things like track limits. For those who don't know, if if you're in, if you if you're not a MotoGP GP fan, for example, if you commit a track limits breach on the final lap of a race, you are automatically demoted one position. So it is doable. It, ha- it can be done. And I wouldn't necessarily have a big problem with that. I just feel like it's not a time problem, it's a stewarding problem. Stop me if you've heard that one before (laughs) in in Formula (laughs) 1, because that's one that that never goes away for very long. So, for me, I don't necessarily think the system is broken. I think it's the stewards that utilise it. I think that's a roundabout way of me getting to that point, that I think it's <laughs> the the problem's in the wrong area. I don't think it's necessarily how the book is written. I think it's the people that hold it. And so with that in mind, I'm going to say three. And the reason why I'm going to say three is, is that I disagree that the system is broken, but I would have no problem with position drops if they felt like that was a fitting punishment for a crime. Um, I'd have no problem with that if it was utilised properly. Um, so I would give the first half a two. I would give the second half of that take a four. So I'm going to meet you in the middle and say three. These elves on that one. So, um, I don't normally go, go for a three, but, um, I think that's the fairest way I can evaluate that. I don't, I don't think penalties are the problem. I think it's just.
1: How it's being implemented? How about you, Ollie? <laughs> yeah, I think you've won me round actually to the <laughs> the sort of you know the human nature around how the how the rule book is then interpreted and and influenced and applied. So yeah, I think to to your point, there's a there's a lot in that take. But yeah, I'd say about a three. And and if if they deserve to move around or lose places, then yeah, so be it. And maybe that'll lead to the the cleaner type of racing that we want as well. So yeah, three.
0: Yeah, it works well in other series. It works well in sports cars, it works well in MotoGP GP for the most part. I've got I I don't necessarily have an issue with position swaps if if need be because given the the talk and the and the anger about faster cars basically bullying slower ones and taking the time penalty that comes with it, that would solve the problem. I'm not going to dispute that absolutely, but I don't think that's the, the root of the problem, so to speak. Just to, just to clarify my point a little bit. But I hope that makes sense to you out there, listeners. Um, send me an angry email if it doesn't. I'm like, it wouldn't be the first time. Um <laughs> take number four comes from Roberto Marias. And Roberto says, Alpha Romeo will be the lowest scoring team next year. Simple and to the point. Alpha Romeo <laughs> slash Salba will be the lowest scoring team next year. Now <laughs> I don't know how much of us you watch Ollie, but I've often joked on many platforms that I've been on that if there was a participation trophy award in Formula One, it would go to Alfa Romeo. <laughs> they are just here. They like, they just plug away every week. They don't do anything spectacular. Um, they're just here. They they collect their, their paychecks and they go home. <laughs> um, they're quiet, but they get on with things. And I think I think I might take this one first, actually. Um, on this one, but the more I think about this, the more I'm inclined to agree. Yeah, this team is not in a good place right now, and they've been they've been they've been sparring and sputtering all year long. I think they they peaked at the first round of the year. I think when Valtteri came eighth in Bahrain, what I think was their best result all season, and they've never been able to replicate that. They spend most of their Grand Prix like 13th, 14, 15, that sort of ballpark. And they're struggling right now. Like, even Haas have had a couple of days where they've had some real nice points. Like, I remember Hulkenberg finishing seventh in Australia. They had that Austrian sprint um, where Hulkenberg was sixth on that day. Where the like, because well, Haas have got a fast car. The the problem is the tire wear. Um, and that's a big issue. But if you've got a fast car, sometimes you'll get a favorable circumstance that will suit you. Salba doesn't even have that. And, you know, Valtteri's been fine, but nothing special. Joe Yu, I think, is a bit closer. But again, he's not setting the world alight. I don't know how much of that is just the fact they're not in a particularly good package. I look at the bottom of the board right now, and I'm thinking Hass and AlphaTauri are probably your main competition. Williams, I think, have kicked on a little bit. Um, the back half of this season, obviously development next year was going to play a huge role in that. We don't know what will happen for next year. My gut tells me, Oli, that I'm leaning towards f- agreeing with this. I think there's I think there's something here in what Roberto is saying. I don't know how you feel about the, the back end of the grid, but uh, let me know what you think.
1: Yeah, I mean, they've been really disappointing, haven't they, this year? Mm. You know, particularly compared to last, I think they scored 55 points last season. VB scored 49 of those. I was really buzzing for Valtteri after, you know, getting away from Mercedes, having a, you know, much worse performing season in terms of points, but a great sort of team leadership role Mm. and, Mm. and helping them drive forward to a really strong finishing position this year. They've just really struggled, like you said, to find a package that seems to come together at at any track I think the one thing that has gone for them slightly is where some of those other teams like Haas and Alpha AlphaTauri and you know less so Albon but more so Logan is when when they've been floating around that that last chance to grab some points they they haven't always nabbed it whereas I think the points that alpha may have grabbed this year has been sort of you know every every couple of races they just grab that a 10th place they just seem to be able to plod along and like you said participate more than compete but <laughs> yeah. um but they have been able to pick it up whereas if you look at you know alpha Tauri they've really struggled has like you said super quick but you know points are awarded on a sunday and a big chunk of their points have come on that saturday sprint this time around this year Absolutely. so i totally agree with you in terms of the the competition they are going backwards. They probably got a mind already on 2026 and thinking about what they want to do with this Audi rebrand and the new regs and so on. And that's the thing that I'm worried about is like, they're not going to give up obviously on the next few seasons, but like they almost have this overarching thing that they're building towards. And I think they're going to want to make sure they've got a really strong impact, not necessarily next year, but sort of building up to 2026. So, I don't know if they'll be the lowest because I just don't quite trust Haas to to pull it out of the bag and, and produce a Sunday car. And I think Alpha Tower, and we'll get onto this in the next one, not taking Lawson as, you know, a big, big mm. shock for me as well, that I think might come back to bite them. So I don't think they'll be the lowest. I think they might be ninth, though. And I think one of those teams, either Haas or Alpha Tower, will be behind them interesting i think i think you're right in
0: that i think Alpha tari is probably going to be their main competition for the bottom of the of the barrel here because i think Alpha tari's definitely got an improved car but i still think they're not scoring points and this is the issue the back end of the table is now so distant from the front because the, the front is so top heavy right now in f1 red bull McLaren, Aston Martin, Mercedes, and Aston are clearly the five best teams in F1 right now. Alpine is probably a distant sixth. They're picking up the scraps. It's going to be really hard for an Alpha Tauri or a Haas or or, 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 a, or a Sauber or an Alpha Romeo, as you have mentioned, to get even one point. So that's why I think even a 10th place would be priceless to a team like that right now. So it's, it's incredibly top-heavy, the standings right now, and... Yeah, if you're if you're 11th, you might as well be 15th. It doesn't make much difference at the moment because points are everything now. at The bottom end of, this, of the of the scoring right now. So, and i i don't, i don't like the fact that they've left Fiopol Share on the bench for next year as well. I think this would have been the ideal opportunity with a rebuilding team to put Theopil Share in there and see what he can do. If you're a big F two fan out there. Joe Guan Yu, I think, has been fine as an F1 driver, but I don't think he set the world on fire. Um, I think now would be a good time to cut your losses, put Porsche in there. You've still got a good veteran presence in Valtteri. He's proven that he can score when the car is competitive. Um, so I've got, I've got the if I'm if I'm Andrea Seidel, I've got the body of work of Valtteri to say, yeah, he can score when the car is good roll the dice a little bit. I don't know why they've been so risk averse about all of this. You've got a, a very talented younger driver in Theo share right there that has missed out. And yeah, again, I think there's just, there's just not very much good I can say about that team right now. Like, like there's nothing I can hang my hat on to say, yeah, but like has I could say, yeah, but at least the car is fast and Hulkenberg has been pretty good this year and both drivers have scored points on occasions this season. They've got a solid all-round driver package and if on a good day, Haas can score. Alpha I could say, well, Sonoda has been pretty good this year. He's scored the majority of your points. The driver lineup is, they've got a very proactive driver lineup. Mm, I can't say anything like that about Sauber. The car has largely been slow and their drivers have been unspectacular. So I'm going to say for Roberto, I agree with you. I think they're going to be bottom of the board next year. Like I like, like AlphaTauri's clearly made some progress. Williams have taken a big step forward this year. And at least Haas has got a quick car in theory, having a quick car will still get you some points in kind of a, Warehouse kind of way, every once in a while, like, like I've seen a few times this season. But I can't say that about Salba this year. They've just been there. It's really
1: strange. So I agree, Roberto. I'm going to say four on this one. <laughs> How about you, Ollie? Um, I don't want to go three again because I've u- I've used the three and I don't want to stay in the middle. So I'm going to go two. I'm going to say they're going to be ninth, and someone will be behind them. <laughs>
0: Well, I've, I don't mean, think there's an AlphaTauri behind them still right now. So, I mean, yeah, there's, it's a fair argument. Like, it's, I think you could easily go either side of this one because... They're not the only one that's struggling. I think Alpha Tari, like I said, they've improved, but they might have left it too late. They've now got they've now got ground to make up, and it's going to be like maybe one point at a time, because the best Alpha Tari's done in any race this season was ninth. And that was Lawson in Singapore. So they're getting their points literally one at a time. And that might not be enough. <laughs> um only six races to go this season. But next year, we'll have to wait and see. Final take comes from uh Vinci, I'm going to pronounce that. Um, again, pronounce me, forgive me if I got that wrong. I butcher names all the time on this show. Please forgive me. Uh, Vinci says, I love Danny Ricardo. That should be the end of the take right there, really. Thanks. <laughs> thanks for coming, everybody. I love Danny Ricciardo. But they should have given the seat to Liam Lawson, in my opinion. I had a feeling this would come up at some point because obviously the news was confirmed going into this Japanese Grand Prix weekend in the middle of it that uh, AlphaTauri are keeping... They're two drivers, the I guess two, I guess two out of three, I guess you could say, in this menage a trois. They are keeping Sonoda and Ricardo for next year. Lawson will be a reserve driver for both teams again in 2024. There are rumors there is a guaranteed seat for Lawson in 2025 for him. I've seen that rumor fly around a couple in a couple of places. But for now, they are keeping Ricardo and Sonoda with Lawson on the bench. I mean. It's been a while since we last had a chat on HW about it, Ollie. I mean, in that time, Lawson, I think, has been very good. Um, in the four weekends he stood in for for Ricardo since the broken metacarpal. Um, for Ricardo. Do you think they should have gone all the way with this and put Lawson in now? How do you feel about the the way Red Bulls handled this?
1: Yeah, I think the the take is almost exactly my own thought process actually i love daniel ricardo i've got mm. more daniel ricardo merch than you could shake a stick at but i think <laughs> liam lawson has shown and has done enough to deserve a seat in formula one and i think ironically is almost a, a victim of his own success because i think you know people have spoke about this before and why did Daniel come back into the team? Are they trying to feed him back into 2025? Do they are they going to get rid of Perez? Do they want to pair Max back with him, etc.? There was some sort of plan with Daniel Ricardo, whatever it was, to obviously keep him in the sport, maybe get him back in the main team, maybe keep him there for marketing purposes, whatever. But I don't think anyone expected obviously him to then not be able to race and someone come in and actually do such a good job. I think it would be so much easier for Red Bull if Lawson had come in and not actually done a particularly good job. And you can say, yeah, okay, pop him back in and we'll carry on with whatever plan A was. Now I think, you know, where where do they go from here? He should have been in that seat, I think. He's shown, we talked about this last time I was on Hot Takes Wednesday, that awful conditions he had to debut in and he made such Mm. a great go at it. He scored those points, like you said, at Singapore. He had another really solid race again this weekend. And in a car that Danny struggled in and Yuki struggled in earlier in the season, he's come in almost like a a duck to water and he's done such a great job. And there's nowhere for him... To go in terms of a seat on the grid the only slot available is that williams seat i think alone is out of the question because williams are too good for Alpha tauri now they're you know when whereas Alpha tauri have been ahead of them the last four or five seasons williams have now overtaken them so mm. why would they want to give williams a, an experienced brilliant driver they obviously want to keep him in their system and i don't think they will pay to get him out so I honestly think as much as I love Daniel Ricciardo, he's a multiple race winner. He's great for marketing. He's great for Red Bull. He's great for the brand. I think if you were to go on merit and maybe there's some recency bias here, just with obviously Liam, I think he does deserve that seat. And the whole point of that team in theory is to bring new talent in, develop them, give them a shot at hopefully making their way to the, the parent team and, I feel for Liam. I do feel for Liam, but I would not be surprised. I've seen the rumours, like you said, Dre, that he has been guaranteed something for 2025. And, and if he has been, he fully deserves it. But I think he should be on the grid next year. And um, a lot can change in a year as well. Guarantees Absolutely. in any sport, in any business, don't mean jack till it's signed, sealed, delivered, and he's sitting in that car. Mm. A word from Christian Horner means Nothing. Nothing. No offense, Christian. <laughs> no, uh, no, I, I completely agree with the, the end part of that take.
0: Certainly, um, this is how I feel about it. And I did write about this on the website earlier this week. Um, if you if you're a regular on there, you'll know that Dre's regular editorial, DRE, RE, um, tackles a subject after every race, and I and I made it abundantly clear. I think people need to think bigger on this. I don't think the AlphaTauri situation is the bottleneck here. I think it's Checo. I think Checo is the is, is the driver I have the most question marks about at the moment. I mean, I, I, I survey the lay of the land and I look at it like this. Sonoda has been a victim of his boss's erratic hiring because his good stuff at the start of the year has been kind of muddied because you hired Nick DeFries in the first place. And you clearly didn't want to. Christian Horner didn't want to. You took a punt, and you failed, and you cut your losses after ten races, rightly or wrongly. It's kind of made Sonoda's season look worse by comparison, but that's not Sonoda's fault. I, I mean, that it would be very harsh to judge him by that because he can't choose who his teammate is. Now, if you've got, if you've decided to cut bait with the freeze as early as you have. And you've decided, well, okay, let's put Daniel Ricciardo back into the fold and see what he can do by modern day standards because he's not driven for one of your cars in, God, I want to say five years, 2018, I think was his last year at Red Bull. You know, fine. We've got no problem with that. But now like, the, the, the the hand injury has made this more difficult now because now you're in a situation where Ricciardo's not driven that car since Belgium. Like it's it's been, it's been, nearly two months since the last time he drove an F1 car properly, but you've kind of got to see the experiment through. That's the issue now where it's like, you kind of have to put Ricardo back in at some point because otherwise the, 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 the Nick the Freeze move was pointless. Like that's the issue. So you've kind of already written yourself into a corner. I think Ricardo was fine in the two races he's come back with so far. He was on roughly Sonoda's sort of level and i think he's largely been fine but the problem now is is that lawson has come in and has immediately been f1 standard and that's the problem he's he's had he's, he's not had a bad day yet he's been across the board excellent he came in as zandvoort 11th hour was excellent monza almost got in the points singapore made q3 finished in p9 Japan nearly made Q3 again, beat Sonoda head to head straight up in the same car in similar race scenarios. You beat Sonoda straight up. So, this is a F1 problem in general. We like the new shiny hood ornament. We like the new toy, so to speak. Um, so, of course, people are going to get excited about Lawson. And, and I agree. I think Lawson should have gotten the gig next year. I really do. I think i but I think you move Ricardo up because he's a safe play to see where Ricardo is at, and I think you keep Sonoda and Lawson together and have them fight out for who's next in line. Or you could go another way you you could promote Sonoda up to the Red Bull team and say, "Hey, this is a stopgap for a year. We'll see what you're at compared to the big boys, and we'll let." the veterans do get out and let Ricardo go up against Lawson. See how that holds up. I think there were ways of doing this. And I think they played it a bit too safe, which is weird for Red Bull to say, because Red Bull have had no problem cutting people ruthlessly in the past. This time they've played it safe and they've been loyal to Ricardo and, and Sonoda, which, I mean, when was the last time a guy did four years in the same junior team? Like that is very bizarre uh, about how rebel and how the Rebels played this entire umbrella scenario. I, I, if you can get Lawson into the Williams seat, brilliant. But again, like Williams will probably like, he well, does Williams even want to take Liam Lawson? Do, do they have enough faith in Logan Sargent rightly or wrongly to keep him around for next year? I don't know it's a lot there's a lot of ways to handle this um but i think the issue is not ricardo i think the issue is perez sure. he's got one of the best cars in history he's got a car that in max's hands is is one of the strongest we've ever seen in f1 he's got six podiums in 16 races that's just not good enough for 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 a driver of perez's caliber with his reputation and for what red bull want and need that's not going to cut it. I have more question marks about Perez right now than any of the free guys in the Alphatari setup in my opinion. So I don't want to say free again here because it feels <laughs> like because it feels like the it's it's like when you play a fighting game and the, and the message here comes a new challenger appears on screen because that's what <laughs> I feel this is. If I had to choose between Ricardo and Lawson right now, I would say ride the hot hand and keep Liam Lawson in the seat. So with that in mind, I'm gonna say four. I'm gonna say four on this one. I would like to put an asterisk on it to say move Checo instead and keep <laughs> Ricardo on the books. But in a vacuum and if 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 somebody put a gun to my head and said Ricardo or Lawson, I would say give me Lawson and see what you've got with him because that's what I think that's more natural to what to what Rebel have done in the past in their setups so I'm gonna say I'm gonna say four
1: on that one how about you Ollie yeah I'm gonna go four but I, I love your idea I wasn't even thinking about Sergio Perez for that and your uh, your article I've just been reading as well which is uh, brilliant so everyone go and check that out but no I think you're you're right play the hot hand I think Liam Liam just deserves it for me. And as much as I love Daniel Ricciardo and I love him to be in F1, and I'm glad that he is still on the grid. You know, it's that classic thing. There's only, there's only 20 seats. There's only 20 drivers who can take them. And unfortunately for Liam, it's, it's not going to be him next year, but he should be there. So I'm going to say four. But if Christian Horner is listening, let's do that. Let's get Perez gone. Let's get Daniel up there or let's get Liam up there and let's have all of our favorite drivers in there
0: translation dear f1 team bosses stop being cowards and let andretti in already okay yes give exactly. us two more seats to play with for the love of god um but uh yeah that's how i look at it um thanks for the kind words there by the way oh he's already reading on the job I-, I love that uh he's taking extra notes in the middle of a podcast i love that that'll do it for hot takes wednesday already tell the good people where they can find you as ever my friend
1: Perfect. Yeah, you can get me on TikTok at OllyswiftF1. Same username on YouTube Shorts and Instagram. You'll find the F1 QuickFire quiz there. Yeah, but the main home, TikTok, Ollie Swift F1. Yep, you can find him on
0: there. Uh, give him a little bump from us as ever. Pleasure as always to share a podcast with Ollie. He's fantastic. Give him a follow if you don't if you don't mind already. We'll be back next week for another edition of Hot Takes Wednesday. I've been Dre Harrison. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll catch you guys soon. Sayonara.